Hey guys, and welcome to the Women Going Big podcast. I am so thrilled to have Becky on today. Uh, this is the first episode in the series, Millennial Women Going Big. Um, so I'm kind of excited to be mixing it up this season for you guys. Um, but Becky is a motivational speaker and an advocate for inclusion. Um, she's been at this for a while. Um, her story starts when she was just 22. Um, at least that's where her why started. But Becky, I'm going to go ahead and let you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your story. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. So for those of you who are listening and even those who may see me on the internet by Googling my name, uh, you may not notice right away, but I am a person with dwarfism. That means that I'm one of 30,000 people who have some form of dwarfism in the, living in the United States and a total of about 200,000 worldwide. And why that information is important is that most perceptions of people like me come from what people consume in the media. And that includes my parents back when I was born in 1984. 80% of people with dwarfism are born to people without dwarfism. And my parents were really nervous about what that meant for my future. And I wanted to have the best life possible. Uh, and the reason that I've been able to have the best life possible is because my parents became advocates at an early age. I always tell the story because I think it's pretty relevant uh, to why the passion exists. But my parents, uh, went after I was born, were told to go meet a geneticist. And they went to this hospital where the geneticist worked. And they checked in at the front desk to go see the geneticist. And the receptionist told them that they needed to follow the signs that say birth defects down the hallway to the elevator that has buttons that say birth defects with more signs that say birth defects. And eventually, they'll get to the geneticist. That made my parents really uneasy just a few days after I was born, knowing that or knowing that the medical field refers to what I have as a birth defect. And they probably didn't have the best meeting with that geneticist. But after that appointment, they decided to write a note to the hospital to say, you need to change that sign mm -hmm. because we don't need new parents to be dealing with that among all the uncertainty they're facing already. Yeah. And I always refer to like the New York subway stations. I always say, if you see something, stay something. So at an early age, my parents were like, we're going to say something if we think it can help others who come after Becky. Yeah. And really, I've dedicated my life to try to prevent those negative perceptions from happening so we don't get to the point where newborn babies are being born in hospitals to families without dwarfism and that the fear doesn't exist as much as it did those days when my parents were with me. Mm -hmm. And fast forward to when we were talking about uh, age 22, after I received a college degree, really, I didn't feel like my childhood was much different than many of my other peers. Mm -hmm. But when it came to applying to jobs in the workforce, I ended up sending out 1,000 resumes. I went on 100 interviews over the course of four months and I had three temporary job assignments before I was finally hired after seven months of being a temporary employee at my first job. Oh my gosh. That's another thing that I don't want to keep happening <laughs> to people. Yeah. And 
one of the things that I look back at during that time is constructive feedback. A lot of people are afraid to interact with people like me because they don't want to offend or mm -hmm. they've just never seen us before unless it's yeah. in a negative light in the media yeah. and they act fearful. They're mm -hmm. shaking and they're not thinking that I'm aware of what's going on. I know yeah. they're shaking and fearful. Yeah. And I just, I, want to make sure that people like me don't have to continue to experience that mm -hmm. and they could be bad i could have been bad at interviewing by the fourth interview each day mm -hmm. but you need that feedback you need yeah. to know in order to think that that's why rather than because of your disability mm -hmm. and i think i'm gonna go ahead and jump in right here because i think this is an important point to make in this is that like you keep talking about the media and that these these fears that other people have are fed by what they're shown you know so where and it seems like a circular problem to me um it doesn't really seem like a straight line and then there's an end to it it seems like it's a constant battle of not trying to change how people think but just i i, I guess it kind of is changing the way that people see things and then the way that they then project back does that make sense it's kind of a, this is a deep subject so I, I wish that we could be at the day where people consume media and they leave it at the tv screen yeah and don't bring it into how they perceive those people in reality mm -hmm. especially when i first started doing public speaking over a decade ago i started having people approach me thinking i was one of those people on one of those reality shows and there's oh, a wow. rainbow of reality shows mm -hmm. how we're perceived and yeah. how their lives mm -hmm. and I have to tell people no honestly like I haven't never been on any of those shows it's just not my desire maybe yeah. maybe a documentary route where someone else isn't telling my story for me but like I've I've stayed away because I do not want to be put in a negative light yeah and I think you think of just the range of reality shows for average America, non-disabled mm -hmm. America, and people do leave that at the door. They're like, we're just watching trashy TV. Yeah. But every single time someone sees a portrayal of someone like me in the media, they think we're all like that person. Because that may be the only representation they ever see. Mm -hmm. And you know what's interesting about that, and I don't want to take away from, from you, but like this happens so much. Like, it's everything in the media like that's the entire objective of everything in the media is to sway the opinion of those watching um so having to be on the other side of that where you're fighting literally an uphill battle to try and combat that um so you got like are you doing that just through speaking tell me about some of the things that you know you're doing to to kind of fight back the media yeah or educate i guess would be the best way to say that more recently, I, I currently do not live in New York City, but I spent time about three and a half years living in New York City. And because there are 8 million people in New York City, you're reminded of your difference every single day when you go walk out on the streets. Yeah. And I think it's gotten to a point where I have this buffer around me that like mm -hmm. protects me. For, and I know not everyone has that experience. Yeah. I think because it's happened so much and because I can't let one person's comment, especially a stranger's comment, affect the rest of my life. But there are those moments where something happens and it just stings really hard, mm -hmm. especially when it comes to people who you've known previously or mm -hmm. know about you. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden they get to a point in their life where they say something that they don't think a lot about before saying it. Yeah. And then you are up against 
your personal safety. Like me as a four foot adult, I can only protect myself so much if I react to someone's reaction to me, Mm. not knowing how they'll respond. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of caused me to also ignore some of the comments that come. But I know not everyone's like that. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest struggles is I, I currently serve as a volunteer for the organization Little People of America. It was an organization that I only got involved in in college because I didn't really feel like I needed to be involved before then. But there are a lot of new parents, people Mm. like were super nervous, super worried about their child's future. And a lot of what I try to do is be there, be that example. Mm-hmm. I always think about like, it's okay to overshare, overshare, overpost on social media. Mm-hmm. I never, I keep politics and religion out of anything that I talk about or post mm-hmm. about. I don't want to, something to separate the message from what yeah. I'm doing. But I try to just show me living my best life possible to be yeah. an example. So sometimes it's, just intentionally being present out mm-hmm. there, uh, knowing that I need to dress my best every day because I'm representing a whole community of people when I go out on the street. Mm-hmm. And then it's the work that I currently do is working with corporate America to help advance disability inclusion. A mm-hmm. uh, long time ago, I decided as a member of the dwarfism community, it, we are protected under the Americans with Disabilities Act. It's okay to identify as part of the disability community. Yeah. I have a huge passion for strengthening the word because I don't mm-hmm. think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And it's advocating on behalf of people like me, on behalf of the entire population, especially mm-hmm. aging America, yeah. people acquire disabilities later mm-hmm. in life. And showing that we are an asset, we can bring assets to society. One of the things that I am a strong advocate for is access in the travel industry. So mm-hmm. when I go to a hotel, I am trying to get in a comfortable room that I could just go to sleep and shower yeah. in the morning and go to my business meetings. Yeah. But most times they have the ADA accessible hotel room in the standard hotel room. Mm-hmm. They don't think of the in-between. Oh, and mm-hmm. I like to have a step stool in a standard hotel room because in wheelchair user ADA accessible rooms, sometimes the counters come up even higher than the standard room. Oh, wow. And I, so I try to advocate for that in-between. It's yeah. not just this or the other thing. Mm-hmm. There's that in-between where I may like a standard room and just a step stool. And step stools only cost like, 10 to $15 and if the hotel had them, they would prevent that from happening in the future. Mm -hmm. But one of the struggles is because such a small population of little people exist, it's very rare for someone to come after me to that hotel. Mm -hmm. So they don't see it as a positive investment quite yet. Mm -hmm. So, and one thing that I forgot to mention is you have a platform, uh, Becky Motivates. So how does that play a role in all of this? Back in 2012, I started my first half or my first decade of my career working behind the scenes in the entertainment industry. Never had a desire to be an actor, but wanted to change what we see in the media because it affects how we're treated. Yeah. And after about six and a half years of living in Los Angeles, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, so I moved out there after college. Kind of got my foot in the door. I worked really hard. I used my marketing degree, worked really hard to not share what I was passionate about quite yet. I just wanted to be known as a hard worker and Mm -hmm. then gain credibility later. 
So in 2011, it was October of 2011, it was National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and I put together a panel of actors and writers, producers, directors with disabilities, mm -hmm. and created the brand Disability in Media, which I, I share through Facebook and Twitter, different stories about people with disabilities doing things that maybe you wouldn't see on TV or wouldn't be able to yeah. find easily share those stories. And then around that same time, I also decided to launch my speaking brand, Becky Motivates, because I decided after those six and a half years in LA to move back to Boston, even though it wasn't an easy decision, I was giving up putting my foot in the door in that industry. I moved to Boston and my sister asked me to come speak at her class. She's a creative writing teacher. And then I just started sharing my story. I thought that I needed to be at a certain level in my career, certain yeah. level of success but people wanted to listen. Yeah. And that's when I, it was hard at first to put motivates in the brand because yeah. I didn't want to just assume that that was what I was going to be able to do right away. Yeah. But I think I just kind of took it by its horns and ran with it. And mm -hmm. even I got married a year ago and the brand still works because I didn't have my last name embedded in it. Mm -hmm. And I just continue to try to, get people to understand that even though I share my experience as someone with living with dwarfism or someone in the disability community, my message isn't for that community. It's actually harder to speak to people in my community mm -hmm. because it's like preaching to the choir, yeah. but it's talking to the larger audience, getting mm -hmm. people to understand that challenges are challenges. So you may say that I went through some crazy stuff, yeah. but you're, you could be going through some crazy stuff too. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to support you in that journey too. I love that so much. And, you know, one thing that, and I want to kind of talk about the fact that, you know, you said that you had to, you thought you had to be at a certain level, you know, before you launched that. And I think that message is so important. The message of just starting, the message of just doing it and sharing, sharing the story that is so embedded in you that it just kind of pours out naturally. Um, that's something that, First of all, like the women going big platform, that's what we're all, that's how I started this. Um, and I think that women almost get paralyzed with, and again, kind of circling back to the media, they should be something. They should be at this point in their career. They should look like this. They should, you know, have kids by now, or they should, there's all these shoulds that women think that they need to do when really it's just, it's just falling into who you are naturally. Um, so I applaud you for just doing that and following it and, um, you know, speaking, speaking from the heart into what's, you know, for what's important to you. But my question to you is when you did that, was there a moment in your head that you were like, okay, like I'm doing it, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, what did that moment look like for you? That's a great question. So I think. I delivered my first speech. It was like November of 2012 when I went to my sister's class. And then I was able to get my first paid speech in March of 2013. And then in October-ish of 2013, I received a message on Twitter to go speak on behalf of a dwarfism association in Kenya. And around that same time that I received that message, I also received a message on Facebook from someone in South Africa who has dwarfism. And she said, I wish I had your level of confidence. And then I thought, 
I just want to pour it all over <laughs> you so you have it. Unfortunately, she was not able to come to the event in Kenya. I think something with transportation wasn't able to work out, but it was kind of that flame inside me that thought like, I'm going to go there and figure out how to give as many people as possible in that room, the confidence that I have, because I feel like, I know a lot of what is embedded inside of me is the way that I was raised and the attitude that like you can go after anything. Of course, sometimes it's within reason. Like mm -hmm. I really chose not to pursue a career in professional basketball. <laughs> and there are some other things that I, I did want to be a doctor at a young age and yeah. chose to not take that route because of all the schooling. But that was more of a personal preference. It wasn't because I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So I know a lot of it's embedded inside of me, but I want to just like, try to give it to people as much as possible. And unfortunately, things are a lot more challenging in a place like Kenya or mm -hmm. other parts of Africa where they don't always have that support. But at the same time, they have a lot, a lot fewer la layers and probably just layers to their lives in general where just sitting in a room with people and dancing is something that's common and it can boost their self-esteem in that moment but then you don't know, maybe they're going home and not experiencing the greatest of experiences. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it was that that just like sparked. And then there were some meetings of parents of little people that take place at these, they call them regional events, mm -hmm. where uh, 12 chapter, 12 districts around the country. So people with dwarfism and their families get together in the fall and spring for a weekend. And I was sitting in the parents' meeting and the parents kept saying how their children were struggling from going from elementary to middle school, especially when you're in a small elementary school and the middle school is going to have three times the amount of people. Yeah. All these new people have not met that person mm -hmm. and just could cause a little bit more of a chance of bullying happening. Mm -hmm. And I was able to start talking to those administrators. It takes the parents being a good enough advocate to get me connected with the schools, mm -hmm. talk to the administrators, tell them about my experiences growing up, the mm -hmm. accommodations I asked for, but also saying that I can't speak on behalf of that person. They're going to just allow them to ask for which accommodations they may want to ask for. Yeah. But put it out there that you're willing to make it if they want them. Mm -hmm. And then I would speak to the whole student body and continue to do this, where the students can ask me the hard questions rather oh. than having that student transition yeah. and face it uh, without that pre-exposure. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think that that's important, like kind of across the board and that you're giving, you're giving these people a voice where they might not otherwise have it. Mm -hmm. And you're doing it through you, which is like, when you said that you just like want to pour your confidence all over people, I'm like, I got goosebumps. Um, because it, it's just so powerful. And, you know, the one thing where, um, you know, kind of as we, as we wind down here, I want to push the fact that there's so many people facing some kind of adversity. Um, and you've come out so strong. And like, you just have this, like, like it's infectious. Like you're doing, you're doing what you're supposed to do and that's infectious. But for somebody that might not be as strong or, you know, they feel stuck handling or trying to handle something or trying to get over just how to live their life and they're struggling with, with something, what's something that you would recommend to them doing to kind of get over that or to help themselves help other people? I often talk about how 75% of disabilities are invisible. 
So I've kind of had the blessing that I have a physical difference. So people know that I'm not hiding anything the minute I walk into the room. But there are a lot of people who have those invisible disabilities. And sometimes it is preventing people from going after their potential because they're so afraid of telling people about what's going on inside because they're afraid of being judged the way that people with physical disabilities are historically judged in society. And I would say find even just one person to share your story with to lift a little bit of that weight off your shoulders yeah. so then you could go even further. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, and it encourages people to create a community. Yeah. Um, and I think that's super important also. Um, well, that's awesome. Uh, is there anything else that you want to kind of add either to your story or that you want our listeners to know as we, as we wrap the show up? I think it's super important to just ask questions rather than making assumptions. A lot mm -hmm. of times people ask me, oh, I, I did this thing with my child or I pulled them closer to me because I didn't want them to bother the person. And I would say that's probably the worst thing you could do. Mm -hmm. Let your child go up to someone, be curious. I've also had people ask me, what if the person we see next isn't as approachable as you are? You don't know until you go and try. Yeah. So go out of your comfort zone. And also when it comes to asking for help, a lot of us are very stubborn and we want to try things on our own first. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a place like the grocery store or any type of environment you may be in where you anticipate someone may face a struggle getting yeah. what they need put it out there that you're willing to make an accommodation, you're willing to help. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do it for the person, mm -hmm. but then that's opening up the door where mm -hmm. they come to you if they realize they do need help after all. I like that too. Um, and I think that's a great way to kind of wrap up the, you know, the whole of what we're talking about here. And if people want to learn more about what you're doing and kind of follow your story and your journey, what's the best way to get in touch with you or follow you on social media? You can go to beckymotivates.com. So it's the B-E-C-K-Y and then motivates. And you can get to my YouTube, Pinterest boards, and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all through there. I really just want people to reach out if they have questions, beckymotivates at gmail.com. Always happy to be a resource and help you navigate those times that you may anticipate being tough. But it really is just treating people like human. I love that. Um, so you guys and all of those links that she just mentioned are also going to be in the description on Anchor. Um, so you can find all of those links there also. Um, but Becky, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, I think that you are an inspiration not only to millennial women, um, but to all women that are trying to go big um, with your story and with what you've had to overcome and where you're going. Um, I, I think it's amazing. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right, you guys. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today to the first episode of Millennial Women Going Big. You guys can expect so many more amazing stories just like this one. Uh, you can, they're all being posted to the website, womengoingbig.com. They're being posted to Facebook, Instagram, and then you can find them all on the Anchor dashboard at anchor.fm forward slash womengoingbig. So until our next episode, I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your day wherever you are. Uh, this is Krista, your host, and I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. Bye, everybody.